the good weather holds. It's almost like June, when we would get out our sundresses and our sandals and go for an ice cream. Hello and welcome to the Ovcast, a Handmaid's Tale reader. I'm your host, Max. And I'm your host, Elsie. Today we're talking about Chapter 8, but before we get to that, you just want to real quickly give you a little um, heads up. The last episode of this podcast was not usual, was it, Elsie? No, it was not. It was a very special episode. A special episode covering the Handmaid's Tale graphic novel that released like two months ago. And not only... Not only, not only is it me and Elsie, not only your, your, your honorable, upstanding two hosts, we also have two collaborators, two, two guests, two of them. Yeah. Which ones, yeah. Which we're, ones were they? We, ha- we have Patrick, Patrick H. Willems, the YouTuber. And we have Scott Nicewander, the YouTuber. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're important comic book af- experts. It's, it's real good. Yeah, we got only the biggest experts to come talk about the uh, the graphic novel with us, and make sure you just check that out. It's a little bit of an extra episode, and who knows, we might have more guests in the future. One can only hope. Yeah. Anyway, so we're talking about Chapter 8 today. Now, Elsie, do you want to summarize what exactly happens in this longer-than-usual chapter? I'd be happy to. I really feel like this chapter is sort of the reverse of the the beginning um, uh, part of the novel because we're seeing Alfred return home and walk back up the stairs. Um, so she's out walking with her companion Ofglen. Ofglen uh, says that it's a lovely May day, and Alfred's like, "That's a weird thing to say." And then she walks to the house, and Nick says hello to her and is like, "Hey, do you have a nice walk?" And she just sort of nods and is like, "Nick should not be talking to me." And then she walks into the house and she sees Serena Joy and reflects about Serena Joy's past as Pam um, and talks to Rita and Cora and Rita and Cora kind of ignore her like usual, but also talk about how like today is the day that she's going to have a bath and one of them needs to supervise her and that's kind of annoying. Um, And then she goes up to her room, but surprise, surprise, there's a person in her room. It's the commander. And uh, why is he in her room? We don't know that, Max. He's just yeah. there. Trust me, I, that was my question going in through the whole thing. Like, why is he in there? What does he do? What is this the inciting incident? Have we finally arrived at the inciting incident of The Handmaid's Tale? Bold of you to assume that there's anything resembling an inciting incident in this novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I probably, yeah. I'm probably thinking too basic. Much like how they keep calling her basic. Which is really funny. Again, yeah, I love they call her common. The yeah, yeah. But I, I think the if you want to start with the ending, I mean the 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 bit where she makes eye contact with him, it's it's really interesting, and she specifically describes it in a very primal way. A flash of bared teeth. What the hell does he think he's doing? Um. Uh, it could mean the edge of something, a territory. The signal animals give to one another, lowered blue eyelids, um, ears laid back, raised hackles. And, and we see this as this is rather intense violation, um, perhaps a, a precursor to a larger violation to come. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, listen, if I walk into my room and there's a guy in my room, either he's stealing something from me or he's asking me to join the Avengers. It's one of those things and... <laughs> In this case, I don't think it's the second one. Um, what I, and what and I she do- also doesn't have anything 
worth stealing. Yeah. What's except all right, in this in the same vein of possessiveness, she kinda catches herself at the very end by saying, Was he in my room? And she's like, Oh, I called it mine. Like this is my room. Yeah, and she she goes really out of her way to not refer to it as, as her room earlier on in the book, that it's it's the room where she's being kept, basically. Yeah. It's like when you're looking after a stray animal, and then you say it's your stray animal, and you're like, oh, no, I called it mine. Exactly. I... And I think that now that there's a threat to her possession of the room, all of a sudden she feels willing to claim it. And I have to wonder what that signals. Like, the fact that she acknowledges it. The fact she's like, I called it mine. Like, I, I feel like, I don't know if she's going to walk that back or just kind of accept it and move on. Um... Like, if she's going to be okay with, like, yeah, no, I don't call this room my room, but then she does just on instinct, and she's like, oh, well. Well, only future chapters will tell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess we just ran into the, the <laughs> problem with starting at the end of a chapter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way, because that was immediate, like, that got the biggest emotional reaction out of me, just like... What is he doing it, there? It's quite startling, even as someone who's read the book multiple times. I had completely forgotten about it. Yeah, I think it's also it's also because the last eight chapters have spent so much time showing us the normality, the regularities of the Republic of Gilead. So the fact that we have something so sudden and so like off uh, off script is genuinely exciting and surprising, which is yeah, probably what the goal I, I mean, was. We, we see a similar sort of... Uh, I think she calls it a breach of custom. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, violating custom. I with with Nick addressing her and being like, "Did you have a nice walk?" Um, because he's really not supposed to do that. Um, yeah, and but they, she, but Elsie, he it. can't help it. Yeah, he can't help it. And she 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 uses her sort of tantamount to to him hitting on her. Yeah. Um. It, in a, a lesser novel, this would be the, the beginning of a love triangle. Mm. But this ain't no ordinary novel, is it? Yeah. <laughs> um. uh. But, you know, if this, was, if this was a YA novel, this would be the, the two love interests she has. Yeah, the commander and the... The driver. Car washer. No, he's a chauffeur. Yeah, of course. Um, re- uh, real quick, before we forget about it, was it a lovely May day on your end, Elsie? I just want to point out how, like, the timing of that is pretty on point. I mean, actually, today it was. I looked out the window, and there there was, like, a rainbow outside, like, uh, like something from a children's book. Like, it just made you want to run at it and try to find the, the pot of gold at the end. Oh, yeah. A classic. Um, it was, uh, it was Props massive. to whoever found it. Yeah. <laughs> It was sort of massive and, and, and picturesque, so it was, it was very much a, a lovely May Day on my end. Yeah, it was too on mine. Like, it was, it was windy, it was rainy at the beginning of the day, but when the sun came out, it was beautiful. Um, yeah. Which brings it, me, I think, to what I think is one of the, the best moments in this chapter. Um, uh, there's a great bit, the beginning, where she describes how it's, it's almost like June, when we would go out to... Um, would, uh, when we would get out our sundresses and our sandals and go out for ice cream cones, there are new. There are three new bodies on the wall. Just that, like, wham. Yeah. It's like, oh, remember how a good time? Oh, yeah. That's right, Gilead. 
Yeah, and I think that the the men we see on the wall are very interesting, especially the the, the priest. Um, we have the the first mention of uh, what is it called? The, uh, the sect huh. wars. Yeah. You first mention of the sect wars. Um, I, I would like to, to... I have gotten some feedback from my mother about a previous episode. <laughs> um, uh, listeners, my mother will call me up while she's listening to the podcast episodes because she vehemently disagrees with some point that I'm, I'm making and proceeds to argue with me. I admire that. It's, it's beautiful and wonderful and absolutely adorable. Uh, and so the, the point that she made a, a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Rebels in the Blue Hills was that the, the, the Catholics would have been snuffed out much earlier on. Um, that the Baptists were allied with the evangelicals and that uh, as things began to sour a little bit, then they turned and that's how you can have rebels that are Baptists that are hanging around Massachusetts. Also, my mother believes that there's been a large ecological disaster and that's why you see uh, differing demographics. You know, at some point she's just going to call in while we're recording. She should. <laughs> uh. And she just disagrees with the thing you said on the fly. Like, <laughs> how, did, how did you hear us? Well, I mean, um, you know, now that I'm back home, she's just gonna burst into my room. <laughs> that's just that's just passion. I, I I respect that. I mean, she also promotes the 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 podcast. The other day at Bible study, they were talking about The Handmaid's Tale, and she was like, "Well, my daughter has a Handmaid's Tale podcast, and all of you should listen to it." Please, everybody should say, <laughs> should advertise us in your religious groups. Uh, <laughs> make sure that you're yeah. Uh, please plug it everywhere. Truthfully, um, if I may be so honest on the air, I'm not, I'm not really sure how many people are out there are listening to this, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But if you are listening, spread the word amongst your friends. It, well, it would be I nice. mean, the fact that we are saying this means that someone will listen. Yeah. Hey, it's a good reference I made there that you just totally missed. Oh, wait. The bit where she's talking about telling a story. Oh, I was I, w- I went to that and I'm like, wait, is that is that specific what she says? Or is this another thing? Okay, listen, it's been uh, <laughs> these chapters stick with me. I swear. Um, <laughs> I, I want to point out something about the about the sect wars. Um, yes, I'm I'm very excited about these sect wars that are only alluded to. Yeah, and this is something that you know uh, I I probably am the only person who's noticed it. It's they're not capitalized, like. In a work of yeah. fiction, like, I don't know, Star Wars... Oh, that means they, it's a generic thing. Oh, yeah, yeah that's what I was saying. In, in a work of fiction like Star Wars, and they bring up the Clone Wars, it's always capitalized. Clone Wars. But in this case, it's just like the sect wars. They just, yeah, they're just regular things that happen. But then she says, like, when the sect wars first began. like. Well, clearly it's a, a long-running, you know, guerrilla warfare conflict, especially given the fact that the... The priests have clearly been given special dispensation to to not be frocked. Yeah, um, I'm just imagining like a battlefield, like with a bunch of priests like in their uniforms, charging and like just beating up other priests. Like that. This is a, this is exactly as like how basic my mind can be with visualizing <laughs> stuff. But that's that's where my mind went. Just like doing like kung fu moves and stuff, just in a line charging at the enemy. By the way, what uh what is a cassock? I believe it's the little um it's like the the 
like the the black shirt things they wear with the white bands. That's what they're called. But I'm not sure. I am very Jewish. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why I wouldn't know what that is either. But it sounds pretty religious. Yes, it's like it's like the. Sorry, the two first ways to describe it that popped into my head was the black dress that priests wear, and then it was that thing that Mor- Morpheus wears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, then the other two uh, people that are hung, hanged, dang it. Also, <laughs> yeah, I think it's not clear what type of priest it is because uh, wearing a, a cassock that's black is common with orthodox sects and um, catholic sects and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. Sorry. I know very little about Christianity but what I do know I must brag about. What were you saying? Uh, I'm just saying the other two have very peculiar titles. Very peculiar. Like that made me raise my eyebrows. They're... Not the DreamWorks kind like the both eyebrows at the same time kind. Um... <laughs> They wear these placards around they're, their necks. They're gender traitors. Gender treachery, which yes. I feel like it needs to be like a YouTube channel or something. Like it's just, it's just too good. Well, it's actually like a common thing to have on on merch. If you go on Redbubble or Etsy and search for Handmaid's Tale merch, you can get gender traitor. Wow. T-shirts. So okay, walk me through this one, Elsie. Is mm-hmm. it because they were trying to hide in guardian uniforms, or? Oh, no, these are men. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay, try to suss it out. A barracks or a shower? What do two men can do in a barracks or a shower that would be considered gender treachery? I don't know, play cards. (laughs) 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 Uh, Okay, It, it clicked with me now. I was a bit like, I guess the... Man, I'm so stupid. I, um, You're not stupid! <laughs> it's like, because I see gender treachery, and I, I immediately think, like, is this... Like, are they are they cross-dressers? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I yeah, was thinking. Yeah, no, that's, that's what would make sense, but alas, no. Yeah, okay. Um, wow, that is one... I mean, I guess when I think of, like, when I think of describing uh, homosexual acts... I don't usually think of betraying your gender. I, I usually don't go there. Like, Well, I think I, it comes from ideas of, like, the homosexual man seducing the heterosexual man into his homosexual ways. Probably where the idea of gender treachery comes from. Uh, oh, wow. You know, I've just heard that about it in the news. That's going to be a recurring theme, by the way. For some reason, a lot of stuff in this chapter is just... There's stuff going on in the world right now that just kind of lines up with it real nice. I don't want to date the episode, but there have been some cases of that in the news recently. It's, right, it's been a rough news cycle. It has been a rough news cycle. I don't um, even want to talk about it. Yeah. It's been a rough time. I mm-hmm. just want to go back to making fun of Alyssa Milano's sex strike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the, the, the purple placards is probably a reference to, like, pink triangles. Um, that's certainly how it's represented in most, uh, visual interpretations. 
I, I, I really appreciate how in the opening we actually hear how, like, Offred's thought process goes, because I do the same thing that she does. Like, her friend goes, it's a beautiful May Day, she says, and then she's like, oh, May Day, like that thing that goes. Yeah, that, that, I think that's, thing. that's what's really great about Offred as a protagonist, is that you can just sort of, like, I don't know, like, literally resonate, like, you can just sort of pick up on her, her, her brain signal and, and f- like, follow it. You really feel like a handmaid when you're reading this book. Well, I'm just saying, like, like it, you can you can just sort of feel her thought process. Because you yeah. can see her jump from Mayday. Mm-hmm. Don't I know where that comes from? Oh, like, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's like something that my platonic friend Luke taught me. Yeah. <laughs> Should we get to the funeral now? Because this, this oh, is... Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is a weird moment. Yeah, and I like how it's just, like, this isolated bit of three paragraphs. Yeah, and it's another thing that just doesn't pop up in any adaptations, but it's a cool little bit. You know, I kind of get it, um, kind like, why this is such, like, a, you know, people kind of avoid this particular bit. Um, not, only because it is, it's, like, it's a very slippery slope, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the Sorry, you're good. For the readers out there, uh, and also for me, could you re-explain what an Econowive is? Econowives um, are women who are of the lower classes and therefore must fulfill all roles. They wear uh, striped dresses that have red, uh, green, and blue on them. Um, We have yet to get a visual adaptation of this outside of the graphic novel or the illustrated edition because let's be real the stripy red uh blue green look is a little weird a little garish hmm. yeah so they're they're lower class women who presumably I don't know this for sure. This is just sort of my head canon, my explanation of how Econo wives happen is that they are women who were married to men who were part of the regime before the regime happened, but their husbands aren't high ranking enough to be issued a Martha or a mm. handmaid. I see. Okay. Cause my first instinction was, ah, oh, man, Econo wives, I choose business wives or first class wives. <laughs> That's your host, Max, folks. He just just defaults to humor if you don't know anything else. Um, yeah, so she's carrying a small black jar. From the size of the jar, you can tell how old it was when it, when it floundered inside her. Yeah. Flowed to its death. It is... It's amazing how, like, un... Is, like, it's... I don't, I don't want to say it's clean, but it, it gets under your skin... In a very uh, implicit way. It's not explicit. Yeah, no, I and mean, it's very flat. It leaves a lot to the imagination. You don't have to describe in, in sort of over-the-top detail what this, like, miscarriage um, looked like. But yeah. you can you can sort of see it in your head, this, this jar of, like... Goo, almost. Mm-hmm. And it's too, yeah, too young to tell whether or not it was an unbaby. I don't think I need yeah. an explanation to know what that is. Uh, <clears throat> um, and, and the fact that she's like unbabies get boxes. 
Um, and the fact that when you have a stillborn, they don't call it, like, a dead baby. They call it an unbaby, the same way that they call women who get shipped to the colonies unwomen. Yeah. There's the little subtle ch- uh, terminology uh, that really just, really makes you sad. Yeah, and it's it's such a weird dehumanizing turn, because you would yeah. think that they would, like seriously humanize miscarriages. Mm-hmm. Although I do wonder if it's a way of... There are women who've had babies, and then there are women who've had unbabies. I wonder if it's a way of, of, of having that determination about the women. Hmm. But I'm not sure. Out of curiosity, Elsie, do there exist unmen in the Republic of Gilead? I think so. They're just not mentioned as much. Like, there are men in the colonies. Hmm. I mean, I, yeah. Um, but, I mean, so far, the, the people we've seen on the wall have been entirely men, so I think that men get executed at higher rates. Yeah. <laughs> it's... This is amazing, like... I'm just, just imagining, like, MRAs and Gilead being like... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> It is so much worse for men here. Do you know what the male execution rate looks like? Oh, boy. Um, I have no idea how to segue or <laughs> comment on that. It's just very sad and and makes me feel sad. Like It is a, a grim book. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, well, I think what another... I think the, the more interesting moment here is not just the unbaby moment, but the fact that... Even though Alfred and Ofglen, uh like put their hands over their hearts to be like, we are in solidarity with you with your loss, the first one scowls at them, and another yeah. one turns aside and spits on the on the sidewalk. The Econowives do not like us. Yeah, there's actually a lot of that this uh, this episode, this chapter. Yeah, uh, people who don't like Offred. <laughs> it's Just it's like the the reoccurring the- theme of there is no allies amongst women. Yeah, and I feel like that's sort of explained in a later Aunt Lydia flashback. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know how you brought uh, you brought up to me, like, this is about, you know, that The Handmaid's Tale is indeed a story, a, a large critique of second-wave feminism? Yes. I feel like that really comes to a head in this chapter. Probably won't be the last time we hear of it, yeah. but definitely, yeah. I mean, it's definitely all about how, in this intensely patriarchal system... Women don't care about each other. They're they're so quick to dehumanize. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you want to hear my headcanon for why the Econowives hate them so much? Yeah. Okay. So, my theory is that the Econowives are transferred out once their their husbands die, and there's a big civil war going on. If you're married to a lower-class man, he's probably, like, somewhere on the front. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my theory is the Econowives see the Handmaids as a possible future and a horrifying one at that. Because these are fertile women whose husbands' lives are at risk. Okay. Yeah, I can buy that. Now what you got to do, Elsie, is got to take that 30 seconds of explanation, stretch it out to 10 minutes, add a bunch of pictures on it, and you're a real YouTuber. <laughs> Why did the Econowives hate Offred so much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It's a theory. A Handmaid's Tale okay. theory. <laughs> I mean, like, there are content outputs for Star Wars theories, Marvel theories. There should be one for Handmaid's Tale theories. I wonder if there are. And if there aren't... There is not. Oh, it is a a, a, a a niche that has oh, yet man, to be catered a niche to. That you gotta fill out <laughs> as you're calling. Um, what does uh, under his eye infer? Like, under what, the what? eye of God. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure because under his eye, like, because I saw his and that was capitalized, but also everything was capitalized, and I wasn't sure. Yeah, under the eye of God. Mm-hmm. Under the eye of Sauron. <laughs> that's, you know what? That In my head, Ken, that's what they're referring to. <laughs> the Republic of Gilead is actually just a covert operation designed to uh, instill Sauron as the leader of the United States of America. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. Um, okay, so I, I'd like to get, um, if I may, I'd like to get back to Nice Walk. Because I feel like it speaks to a greater issue about how the power dynamics of the Republic of Gilead work. Yeah. What a, now, as Offer describes, all flesh is grass. As she pulls an um, actually on uh, on Aunt Lydia. Well, I mean that is the the quote from Isaiah. What does that mean exactly? Um, I I, I think it just means that uh, flesh is weak. Um, as in, like temp and then flesh refers to temptation. Well, that like human life is transitory. That like our, our our bodies are like the earth, and they will decay. And like, what's the word? Become fertilizer. Oh, okay, yeah. Um. Oh, okay. Yeah, like I, it's I, it's a, a popular thing to be on like epitaphs. Hmm. Interesting. Because I knew what they were referring to, but I wasn't sure how they got to all flesh is grass. Because when, uh, of course, some of them will try all flesh is weak, I thought it meant, like, the flesh that yeah. keeps their skin thick enough to not hit on women yeah, and listen. No, what yeah, Aunt Lydia is using the line to mean that, like, men's lusts are, are so strong that they are weak and they will try things. Prime victim blaming right here. Like, yeah, this is well, like... she specifically is like, you women are stronger and shouldn't have this problem. Yeah, which is, like, the, it's, like, false empowerment, you know, like. Yeah. You are stronger than the men who will come after you and, you know, always and try to have you have their way with in, you. In the 1990 movie, I'm sorry for, like, citing different adaptations a lot this episode. No, go I for will, it. I love it. I will it. try to, to, to dial it back, but in the 1990 film adaptation, this line is brought up. Um, where she's describing how, like, women's flesh is stronger and they will be less lustful. Um, because one of the handmaids in the Red Center gets caught masturbating and they, like, basically take her out back and beat her. Oh my god. Um, and she's like, you know, men can't help themselves, but you women. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, um, if you know my channel, youtube.com slash MacFair. Uh, you would know that I talk about adaptation all the dang time, so it's interesting to talk about the different adapted works of The Handmaid's Tale, of which I will expose myself to all of it at the end of this long uh, journey when I actually finish this book, so I don't get spoiled anything. Um, so, you know what's interesting? Um, the stigmati- like, is in that respect of the adaptation where a woman is caught masturbating, 
it's interesting how even now it's still sort of a stigmatized thing to either show that or address that. Like, yeah, like the the scene in the Academy Award winning film, The Shape of Water, that stuck out to me the most. And I know what you're gonna think, and I know what you're thinking. <laughs> it is the scene with her just like casually masturbating because it made me realize that's just not a thing that anybody like addresses or shows oh, or anything. I mean, it. it- up until very recently, if you showed a woman masturbating, you were automatically getting an NC-17 rating on your Wow, movie. is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, um, I, it comes up, I, there's a movie called But I'm a Cheerleader, um, which is a campy romp in which the protagonist, who's a cheerleader, gets sent to gay conversion therapy, despite the fact that she's very in denial about being a lesbian. And one of the things that establishes that she is in fact gay is that there was a, a, a fully clothed masturbation scene in which she thinks about cheerleading practice and looking up the skirt of a, a teammate. Oh. Um, this movie came out the same time as America, uh, American Pie, and because it had the scene with uh, female masturbation in it, it got an NC-17 rating, and American Pie got an R rating, despite the fact that it has a scene where a guy masturbates into a pie. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard of that. Um, that is fascinating. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, and I, I, it, in the 1990 movie, it's not, like, super clear what's happening, but, like, there's... Like, she's she's in a, a sleeping bag. Um, I see, yeah. And you can, you can tell that something happened, and there's yeah. comments about how women should be stronger. Mm. He made you different. It's up to you to set boundaries. Later, you will be thanked. Yeah, don't don't go reading into that, listeners. I just it's the scene in the shape world that stuck out to me the most. <laughs> Relax, all right. I was just very. I remember like turning my friend and be like, I remember after the movie, I was turning my friend like, this is the scene that stuck out to me, and she was like, Are you sure, Max? <laughs> Are you sure that's why? I'm like, Yes, that's why. Come on. <laughs> um. Anyway, it's. Yeah, the idea, the, the, this this idea, it's so real because it's still a thing that happens. Like, the way we still, like, the way a lot of people still educate their daughters is to be stronger than the men who cannot be controlled. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's scary how it is still, like, that is something that the modern United States of America and the Republic of Gilead have extremely in common. And it's, it's it, I mean, if we have anything in common with the Republic of Gilead, we should probably change it. I really think uh, that that should just be that should just be a given. Like if we are all ever at like well, if, but we do have things in common with the Republic of Gilead, such as dish towels. Okay, I see what you're doing there. I, I see that. I, I get you. Yeah. Okay. Like listen, if we if we ever resemble the Galactic Empire, we'd probably change that. You know, like we don't want to look at, or act like any fictional empires that are based I mean, on dystopias and bad people. Have you seen some of the military recruitment ads, such as the It's Not Science Fiction um, ad series? Oh, no, I haven't. I've only known they're strong and there's army strong. Um, or the it's... the army recruitment stuff uh, when the second Independence Day movie came out? Not great. I... It's not great, my dudes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, uh, we should probably do that. Also, um... You know, I don't want to dig this episode any more so, but you if you're listening to this, you know what I you know where I was about to go with that. Um anyway, so li- later you will be thanked. Yeah. 
And I love how we go a callback. You know, we bring back a character from a past chapter, Serena Joy. Yeah, and she doesn't really even have, like, an interaction with Serena Joy. It's it's just, like, she sees her and then, like, starts talking about Serena Joy. And, and how stupid her name is. Yeah, which is a stage name. Her name isn't even Serena Joy. It's Pam. Yeah. It's like, rest in peace, it's like if you were Prince's, like, handmaid, <laughs> like... <laughs> No, it's I not mean, even a real name. It's just a symbol. <laughs> it's 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 like being Tammy Faye Baker's uh, handmaid. I mean, it's quite a name, Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, and I, this is sort of when we 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 really get the the Phyllis Schlafly bit where um, she was making speeches. She was good at it. Her speeches were about the sanctity of the home, how women should stay at home. Serena Joy didn't do this herself, but she made speeches instead. But she presented the failure, this failures of hers as a sacrifice she was making for the good of all. Which is like mm-hmm. classic Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly is, uh, was a, a 1980s um, social conservative who, before she gave speeches, would thank her husband for letting her be there. Wow. Mostly, like, like she literally is like, because it makes the feminists really angry. So it was definitely a trigger the libs. I was about deal. to say. Yeah. <laughs> Thanking your husband to trigger the libs. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, and now, and that leads me to my favorite line in this whole chapter. How furious she must be now that she's being taken at her work. Oh, man. Yeah, that's my favorite line, too. It's like, I love oh, it so shit. much. <laughs> she got burned, except she didn't even hear it because it was all in Alfred's head. But yes. still. Yeah, no, and like, it's it's totally, she's in a prison of her own making. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like it, it, like, it doesn't feel right, but I feel like if you're gonna, if you're gonna live as a handmaid in the Republic of Gilead, it's the small victories yeah. matter, right? It's the small Well, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's right to point out that she got exactly what she wanted, um... She was arguing that she should be in the home, and now she's finally in the home, and it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the bit above it, though, where we see uh, her... Um, we see Alfred and Luke uh, watching Serena Joy on TV, and Luke thought uh, Serena Joy was funny. And it's, like, unclear whether or not Alfred is, like, retroactively... Um, reframing how she viewed Serena Joy. Um, but I, I just, I really like the, the four lines we get. We, sh- we thought she was funny, or Luke thought she was funny. I only pretended to think so. Really, she was a little frightening. She was in earnest. See, that I'm with Offer on that one. I wouldn't find Serena Joy's talk of sanctity or anything like that, like, funny at all, because, well, like, but I don't know. We, we find Ben Shapiro funny. Yeah. Um, even though his, his rhetoric is, is, is quite repugnant. Um, yeah, and also because it, he sounds like, uh, he was given birth to by a, a helium tank. <laughs> yes. But like, I mean, she, she sounds similar. Um, we'd watch her sprayed hair and her hysteria, the tears she could produce at will, her mascara blackening her cheeks. I mean... Yeah, sort of similar to, to Ben Shapiro, this, like, very comical-looking figure who mm-hmm. says some pretty horrible things. And then cries on uh, on TV when somebody stumps him, he, right? he didn't cry. He was just like, well, you're bad. I'm more popular than you. Goodbye. I'm leaving. He basically, uh, he basically was talking to New Master 69, and he tried to get back at him. <laughs> 
Wow, we are... God, I'm dating this episode so badly. Oh we my really God. are, but it's okay. <laughs> we try not to do that on here on the Ofcast, but sometimes things just line up nicely. It's been a weird news cycle. Let's just, yeah. let's just put it out there. Um, yeah, and we get the Aunt Lydia telling the, the, the handmaids to, like, like, you have to watch out for the wives. It's so much yeah. harder for them. This... I would like to bring up a quick little anecdote for you. So when I was in college and I was meeting a bunch of new people from all over the world, I came across this one couple, mm-hmm. uh, one of my best friends in college. He was dating somebody at the time. I met her and she told me, she was like, I like they, I don't like women. And I was like, what? Okay. I, it was, I was like 20 and I was like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? Like you don't like women? Like, well, like, like how could you like not... Please keep in mind, I was being very basic in my head about this. Yes. I was not introduced to the concept of internalized mis- mis- uh, misogyny. But that's basically how she operated. Like, everyone was an enemy. Everyone was out for the same thing. Uh, everyone was after her or something that she loved. I and, mean, like, the, the, the handmaids are, are, are literally there to, to um, you know... Lack of a, a better term, be fucked by their husbands. It's it's not. Um, I I think the the jealousy is quite warranted. Hmm. Um, I just took this away from like the way that Aunt Lady is just like, you know, you should always try and imagine what they must be feeling. Of course, they will resent you. It's just like, I, I feel like spreading that kind of, that kind of like environment, that atmosphere of resentment. I feel like just. Does that not contribute to a feeling of just, like, of internalized misogyny? Does not, you know, even if the circumstances might be warranted, is it still not ideal to preach a message of, oh, yeah, these women are going to hate you. Well, but they're the, just, just... the, the thing is, they, they, they will hate you. You should, you should pity them, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hmm, it's true, yeah. Um, uh. I, and furthermore, we, we see that, that Alfred... Um, when she first shows up, really wants Serena to be this protective older sister. It, it, it's not as though the the messaging is really that the the wives definitely will hate you. Um, it's that like you should watch out for them because like I mean the 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 commander walks into Offred's room and Offred immediately is like what the hell, whereas like. Serena Joy has already given her, like, this speech where she's like, ugh, old what's-his-face didn't work out, did he? Um, yeah. Like, that- Serena Joy has a, a, a fair amount of power over Alfred. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question, Elsie. Do we know in the, in, you know, in the timeline of the Republic of Gilead of any wives killing, ha- you know, killing handmaids the same way that um, handmaids or wives kill husbands, kill commanders? I think we see some similar uh, rumors on the part of the Marthas later on. Hmm. Um, but I'm not 100% sure. I don't really remember. Um, but speaking of the Marthas, let's talk about Rita and Cora and talking about Offred like she's not there. Yeah. Have you been in that situation, Elsie? Like, maybe it's your friends or maybe it's your parents or like... And you've done something bad, or that you just like made them irritated, and they kind of do the same thing to you that these uh, two Marthas do to. Um... And it's weird because she hasn't done anything bad. She just like is like I, I couldn't 
like I can only get this chicken. Yeah. No. I. But like, I. Th- I feel like a lot of us have been there. Whether or not it was like you know in our like because of us, it's just like the worst feeling to be treated like a chore, not a person. Yeah. I mean, and also the fact that like Alfred needs someone to watch her while she bathes. Yeah. Um, that is, who who put in these rules? Who was in charge of like, yeah? Just as we continue in this book, I just I'm not sure. Uh, again, I'm I think I brought this up before. I'm not really sure who benefits from this from this system. Everybody seems totally miserable, and everything seems super restrictive. And I don't really see where like any good comes out of it. Uh, that that that's the message. That's oh. the moral. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess I just. It's just so weird, like, I guess I'm just so used to dystopias where somebody is affected, like, I mean, everybody in, like, the districts might be sad, but, like, Pan Am, like, the the rich, they're happy, like, it's very clearly well, benefiting the, them. The, the commander clearly benefits, he gets to reproduce. I, I, yeah, With I, what I is, guess that's... what is, functionally speaking, an unwilling participant. Yeah, he's um. not into it, and, like, so, if you're a commander and you marry a wife... What like? Ugh. Your only issue to handmade if your wife isn't fertile. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, okay, and Serena that, Joy that, is clearly yeah. not fertile by virtue. She's old. She's old. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I feel that. Okay, that that I uh, I forgot about. Um. That 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 clears that up for me. Um. um. So how does so? I. They okay. Let's see. The Marthas are, they, it's, they just, Alfred has in the past tried to connect with them, hasn't yes. she? She's trying, again, it's the, it's the recurring chapter theme of trying to find allies. She wants to, to be find, seen. Yeah. And it just doesn't work because we're in a system that benefits nobody and nobody is happy. And why would you ever want to make friends or anything like that in a situation where nobody else is happy about anything? Well, I mean, I think she, she, I mean, what she wants out of her allies is so simple. She just wants someone to talk to. Yeah. And yet, in each circumstance, because of what she is, a handmaid, she is denied that. Yeah. Because of what she is supposed to be. Like, it's, it's not because of Alfred, of Alfred saying anything. She even, you know... Even those Akana wives, she's like, hey, what's up? We, we stand with you in solidarity. And they're like, they basically give her the finger. Yeah. And it's not because, oh, God, it's Offred. Give her the finger. It's, oh, a handmaid. Oh, great. And then when she goes to, like, you know, like, she sees Serena Joy. And it's like, she will never be friends with Serena Joy. She will never have any yeah. allyship because of that power dynamic. And now with the Marthas, oh, God, we got to take, we got to look after her while she washes. That's just great. Like, it really, really drives home the point that the uh, that none of this is because of Offred. It's all yeah. because of the handmade Offred, which is sad. So it's a real, real uplifting book. I I sometimes worry in our off time not recording the podcast uh, if we're we kind of we kind of focus too much on this is sad all the time. Well, I mean, we mentioned when there there are hope spots in chapters. This one just doesn't really. I mean, not much happens. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, except the very end, where it's like, yeah, it's the, like, oh. the commander's there, but that's yeah. that's that's ominous. That's not good. And I think it's worth noting the commander is the only participant here who doesn't seem to have any opinion on Alfred because of our status as a handmaid. Even though it's a short interaction, it doesn't really seem to be like echoing any sort of sentiment. Yeah, which I mean, is he, has, he hasn't said anything to her at all ever. Yeah, when when, when did she meet him? Um, I think we're still, uh... yeah, I think the next time he pops up is chapter, chapter 15. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, I'm pretty sure. Wow, really? Yeah. You don't get this mystery resolved until chapter 15? Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, dang, son. Um, it, it's, yeah, I, I have to wonder, you know, and I think what makes this especially tragic is that last line. Where even in the midst of all these people having a grudge with Offred the Handmaid, and not just Offred or yeah. whatever her name was before, she now is starting to accept the role by calling her room hers. By calling the room where she sleeps hers for the first time, maybe in the book? And it's like, oh, I'm being forced into all this. I'm being thrown into all this resentment. And now I'm starting to, like, accept it. Yeah. Which is tragic on its own. I mean, but I think that to a certain degree, it's a sort of small act of rebellion where the commander has shown up to to claim her space, and she says, "No, it's my room. What is he doing in my room?" Yeah, and like being possessive like that. Yeah, which you, I mean, it's like it's not like this at all. But it sometimes feels like Gilead is very anti-emotion. Like, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it's not like a, there's a no emotions rule. Like that that doesn't make any sense. Um. But it's, it's very much like, if you react well, a certain mean, way... People get to have emotions. Handmaids are not people. Correct. That is, that is correct, yeah. That's true. What was your favorite part of the chapter, Elsie? Well, I, I also really liked the, the, the line where uh, um, she's been taken at her word. It's oh, just such an awesome. amazing way to put it. Oh my god, uh, wait, is this like, is this the first time that we've had the same favorite line? I think so. That's amazing. Woo. Um, awesome. Uh, oh, my other favorite line was, she's describing how the kitchen smells, and it smells of bread. Yeah, and it's like, and she, I don't, I don't need to stop smelling this, right? But the bit before she says, I need to stop smelling it, she says, it smells of mothers, although my own mother did not make bread. It smells of me in former times when I was a mother. Ah, so sad. Because smell is like one of the strongest connections to memory. Yeah. And I mean, it's just sort of this acknowledgement of the life that was that she doesn't really do that much. And like, as soon as she catches herself doing it, she's like, this is a, a treacherous smell. I know that I must shut it out. Yeah. Lest I become sentimental and miss what I used to have. Yeah. Well, and I can't be sentimental because I'm a handmaid. I'm not supposed to have emotions. Yep. <sighs> like I um, said, what an uplifting novel. Yeah. And I'm hoping, I mean, truly, I'm hoping that Alfred gets her justice by the end of the book. And I am certain that's going to happen. And I'll definitely go into the book feeling that and only that. And I won't be disappointed. Definitely. Nope. Yep, definitely. 
Anyway, um, I think that wraps it up for us this week, right? Yeah, Elsa? I think I think we've we've covered all the bases. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Upcast. If you're looking for uh, if you're looking to interact with us on any uh, on a bigger level, you can find us at theupcast.com, and you can send us an email through the uh, the contact sheet on that website. And you can also find us on Twitter at theupcast. Elsie, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter at the Musafo and on Instagram at the Musafo. I do cool retro vintage fashion stuff. It's fun, um, and I have a YouTube channel, Sappho of Lesbos. Check me out. Where can they find you, Max? They can find me on YouTube as Max Mariner, and they can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Mr. Max Mariner. Mr. My name. And uh, you should know that I make uh, videos about old Harry Potter video games and uh, screen actors. We've done another episode where we didn't make any Harry Potter references. Yeah, it's just too sad. Just, just too sad for Harry Potter. Like, we could make references about how Harry is treated as the chosen one instead of Harry, which is... Or we could have made know. references to his his childhood on Privet Drive, being the neglected child. There were so many opportunities, and we didn't do them because we're trying to break our form here. Yep, we're trying to break our form, and I'm not just totally blanking on all those things. We are, we are making an effort. <laughs> this is... I. Definitely on purpose. Yes, absolutely, a hundred million thousand percent. Anyway, um, our theme, yeah. our theme music is by Daniel Chariot, and our branding is done by Sydney Elliott. All right, praise be. Praise be. See you next time.